everybody, and welcome once again to Watch Party Gaming. I am your host, Javon, and I am joined once again by my panel. Say hello, panel. Hello, hey. panel. Panel. And today we have Samaria. Hi, everybody. And Axel. Hello. And last and certainly most, Greg. Hello there. Most so least. today... <laughs> least <laughs> most least yes no least 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 <laughs> least least most least uh, whatever english is weird um yes it is so today we are doing episode six the very last day of the rest of their lives and i was telling everybody before uh we started recording this is my second favorite episode um my heart will always belong to uh, the cold open of hard times, but the Aziraphale and Crowley in Heaven and Hell absolutely is a close runner for number two. Oh, yeah. So we start the episode with a procession in hell. The judge, jury, and executioner are march into the courtroom. <laughs> the execution chamber. The execution chamber. The special space that they created just for this, and it's like... Just for Crowley. It's not that special. It's just kind of an empty room. It's got these nice, like, you know, concrete stair steps, which is interesting for seating, but nobody's seating. Nobody's sitting there. I don't know. I like the flickering fluorescent lights. It really adds to the <laughs> dystopian feel. <laughs> it's very uh, office break yeah. room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hell build a special place for Crowley, and it's a dump. That fits. They, uh, we have a we have a new demon in the mix. Usher, the usher. Hell's <laughs> little, usher. Little football. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a very very uh, obese armadillo kind of thing. It's yeah. yeah it's cute in its own horrible way. I want a I want a plushie of, uh, <laughs> of the <usher>. <laughs> <laughs> Plushie or I think that would also fit well with like a resin sculpture, you know, something hard-sided, you know, it's it, it it looks like it could be pretty solid. Could really hurt somebody with one of those. It also looks like uh could could be a Jim Henson uh, muppet. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it could. It's cute in his own weird way. Mm -hmm. So they they march Crowley in. I kind of love the fact that they're going through this performance piece of a trial. You know, we are going to be your judge, jury, and executioner. This is where we will, you know, hear your case and declare you guilty. Like, it's already decided. Right. We're going to go through with it anyway. It's all very performative. It's a good old-fashioned show trial. Yeah. I just, I just love the fact that heaven is, or sorry, that hell is really into this, like, performance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, no, it has to look good, if nothing else. Yeah, right. they're going to do it for the audience. Because, of course, you've got the, the glass wall with all the rest of hell watching. Vengeance must not be d just be done. It must also be seen to be done. So that the other demons know where what's going to happen to them if they try something like this. Yeah, that's true. I guess he gets to uh, provide a warning to anybody else who might be thinking that they could, you know, get away with doing their own thing. Which I'm pretty sure is a standard thing for demons to want to do, because they're demons, after all. Didn't they right. go to hell in the first place for rebelling? Exactly. But together, so... <laughs> but you're not allowed to rebel now. <laughs> no, yeah, 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 and yeah. not on your own. You can't go rogue with your rebellion. You have to rebel with, like, approval, which <laughs> seems a bit backwards. I have a form here that says I can rebel. 
<laughs> so um, then we zip back in time, back to the airfield where Crowley arrives and uh, you, you get to see, you know, the scene where they confront army human. And then the Bentley blows up. <sighs> R.I.P. Bentley. Crowley has to take a moment. I did see behind the scenes thing where they actually blew up a real Bentley. Did they really? Yeah. I don't know if it was Damn. an actual Bentley, but at least it was a car that looked like it, you know, so it could Hopefully have been it was a, like a kit or something. Yeah, or a prop or something. I don't think it was, a, but it was an actual car that blew up. I mean, it looked real. Yeah. So um, there was uh, a post by Neil Gaiman. I think it was by Neil Gaiman. Um, apparently, David Tennant said, how do you want me to play this? And the answer was, if you were still the doctor and saw the TARDIS blow up. <laughs> and he went, right. <laughs> Devastating. Got it. I'm having a moment. <laughs> I loved that I'm scene. I'm having a moment here. <laughs> so Aziraphale makes the soldier go away. Uh, in the book, it says that he ends up back at his parents' place. They don't go into that in the show. Well, that's nice. Give him a little leave. Uh, a little wall, but it's still leave. And then you see a couple of jeeps full of soldiers pulling up to the gate to deal with, you know, whatever's going on at the front gate. And Crowley says, okay, I got to get over the car thing. We've got to deal with this. Um, and there's a comedic moment where Aziraphale says, we must be ready to quick to, to lick butt. <laughs> <laughs> it was very mom of him. Like, just getting getting things wrong slightly, slightly off. V very mom-coded, as the kids say. Yeah, my favorite little bit of that is uh, is Crowley saying, it's, it's kick butt for heaven's sake. Oh, I can't believe I just said that. And, and Israel repeats it like he's memorizing and he's like, oh, kick, kick butt. <laughs> so they so they never go into the whatever happens between them and the soldiers. They just completely skip that over in the book. Um, well, actually, yeah, in the show, too, they eventually arrive on the scene in one of those Jeeps. So the soldiers lose that particular encounter, but they don't, you know, <laughs> show it to you what happens. Yep. Well, obviously they lose because everybody else shows up inside the airfield, so. Presumably the soldiers just end up going to visit the gate, camp gate guard's mum. Oh, that Presumably. would be... <laughs> the, 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 <laughs> surprise! They all end up back at their parents' house. In the, yeah. <laughs> uh, the one guy's parents' house. At the, first the one guy's parents' house, yeah. yeah. There are worse places to end up. This right. is true. And no passport needed, no flight needed, it's great. Oh, yeah. Get a little home cooking, you know. It's good. So then we jump to Arthur Young, who's like washing his car. And I love the fact that he kind of ducks down behind his car when he sees R.P. Tyler coming. <laughs> Fuck, you saw me. Neighborhood menace. <laughs> yep. He doesn't just leave. A neighborhood watch. <laughs> and R.P. Tyler says, don't blame me if your son starts World War III and walks away laughing. <laughs> the he irony doesn't know how ready is. Yep. And then we jump to the credits. So I was trying to find in this episode a scene where you can see um, Arthur Young's license plate. And 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 Greg's eyes just lit up. Yes, <laughs> so I noticed this. You can't really see it in this scene, but I but it's coming up. If you it's look at we'll it get there. in the airfield, mm -hmm. you get a better shot of it. We will get there. So then the credits roll. 
Next, you jump to the them standing in the middle of the airfield. And uh, Death says, you know, he's here. And they start marching out of the control room to go and meet them. And I love the fact that they play this, like, Western music for this scene. It's mm-hmm. it's very much showdown at the OK Corral. Yep. Yep. And you get a nice little shot of... Uh of Anathema's point of view, where you actually get to see the auras of the horsemen. And they're all very black and... Right. Although it seems Death's is just sort of neutral. It's just sort of white. So we get the face-off, where Adam is like, this has to stop. I don't want this to happen. Death actually says, your existence demands the end of the world. And it's that thing that comes up over and over again, that of predestination versus free will. Like, because you are here, the end of the world has to happen. That is what you are for. Mm-hmm. That's, that's your entire purpose. This is why you were here. You were here to start the war. Which is so sad. <laughs> yeah, it's like a kid peaks at 11. That's, that's no good. And it kind of speaks to the difference between humanity and everybody else. Right. Because everybody else has a track. Humans don't. In theory, humans are the only ones with free will. Yep. But in in the show, everybody does, ultimately. Yeah. It's just, so the difference may be that the angels, the demons, they're all pretending they don't have free will, that they are forced to do the things that they want to do. Mm-hmm. Right? They, they, they use that. This is their justification. I'm just following orders. Right. I am going to destroy the world. I'm just following orders. It's the great plan, but it's written. <laughs> yeah. But, yep. but we've also talked about how humanity has rubbed off on Aziraphale and Crowley. And yep. Adam grew up with other humans for 11 years. Yep. So if, if being human is infectious... Mm-hmm. Then, you know, he's been immersed in it. And, and you know, we talked about this last episode, how him growing up in Tadfield with a family that loved him and friends that always have his back gave him something to care about and something to lose. Something that he wouldn't have had if he'd grown up in Warlock's environment. Right. And yeah. also he's been given freedom his whole life to run around and do stupid things without parent, parental oversight. Whereas if yeah. he had grown up the son of the, amba- you know, the, the American ambassador, then his life would have been regimented and controlled. And he would have had security. Even, even if you know, his parents weren't paying attention, he would have yep. had security guards on him all the time. Yeah, right. Yeah. Much yeah. more controlled life. Yeah, Helicopter parenting. I was about to say, even if he grew up like a regular kid in like the suburbs and not like in the middle of nowhere in this quaint little village, my gosh... <laughs> Like, Gen Z's parents are, like, insane. (laughs) 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 Which I think is it's very much so, like, I mean, his upbringing is very much a, like, the past thing, not a today thing. You know, like, I mean, when we grew up in, like, let's say the 70s, 80s. This was normal. At some point, there was a change. I never knew where I was. I had a bicycle. (laughs) Honestly, mine didn't either. Like, (laughs) you know, like, I think I was like the last of the last of them to really have like a free range childhood. Like the one rule is that you don't go, you don't go somewhere without like 
someone else. And so always had my cousins or my god siblings with me. But for the most part, like once we were gone, we were gone. We didn't have cell phones. Yeah. Yep. Uh, parents rule was very much the same. Like when the book was written was it was about the beginning of the you know the era of parental control over childhood mm-hmm. becoming normal right like you know kid just i'm kind of wondering was this a a part of uh the writing thought process of you know like this is a bad thing or are we just interpreting it this way because it seems really obvious from 2023 as a distinguishing feature yeah i mean it would seem pretty normal back when the book was written in the was it early 90s is that right 90 give or take yeah yeah so yeah that that was that was kind of the norm you know or, uh, growing up in the 70s and 80s myself you know same thing so it hadn't quite kicked in yet the true panic over <laughs> over you know overprotective par- not, not really panic but the the you know the the trend of uh overprotection for kids hadn't really kicked in Aziraphale um, and Madam Tracy and Chadwell and Crowley all show up at that moment. And Crowley is saying, you know, shoot the Antichrist, shoot them, shoot him and you stop everything. But just between you and me, I don't think that would have worked. <laughs> I don't think no. that at, at this point, Adam is in his full power. I don't think he's in any danger. <laughs> I, I, even if he weren't, I think it wouldn't have worked simply because... Nobody else would have let that happen. Like the horsemen wouldn't have let him be hurt. The angels and the demons wouldn't have let him be hurt. (laughs) It it might have worked before he manifested his power. But, you know, at this point, I don't think so. And Adam just like Adam just, you know, completely (laughs) ignores the whole thing. Tracy stops Azurafel from. And can we talk about Miranda Richardson's performance? Playing both Aziraphale and Madame Tracy in the same body. She's just just grand in that. I, I love her. I love how her body language switches back and it forth. It does, on and so seamlessly. Oh, yeah. She's she's brilliant. She's absolutely brilliant. Like the, the scene in the last episode where she says, I'm not just a Southern Panzer. It's Mr. Shadwell. It's the Southern Pansy. And like her <laughs> full body language is Aziraphale. It's awesome. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Genius. She is coming back for season two, right? Yes, she is. Uh, She's a completely different character. She's playing a demon. She's Crowley's replacement. What? She's she's going orphan black on us. That's wonderful. Yep. Yep. In in, uh, one of the um, scenes that was pre-released, her and... Crowley are sitting in uh, the park having a conversation, and she is his replacement on Earth. Nice. The new, the new hell agent. Oh, that's going to be so good. I haven't seen anything but the trailers, read anything about season two the trailer, so this is, this is very exciting news. Uh, the woman who plays... Uh, the women who play two of the nuns are also back in new roles. Um, yes. The woman who is Mary Loquacious and... I think Sister Garrulous. Excellent. Wonderful. Can't yeah. remember the actor's names off the top of my head. Yeah, we, we did have a discussion about that a couple episodes back. Like the uh, American Horror Story and Miracle Workers that do the same thing where they will bring back cast members in different roles, different seasons. Love it. 
Adam says, why are you two people? <laughs> Which is a completely legitimate question. He says, you shouldn't... You should go back to being two people again. Well, yeah, what the hell? <laughs> and just separates them. <laughs> Everybody seems a little stunned by this, but, you know, it's not the most important thing going on right now, so they just roll with it. So then there's... Um, so while Newt and Anathema are uh, trying to figure out how to shut down the computers, they go into the scene where the kids fight the horsemen. It's slightly different from the book in that in the book, the kids brought their own weapons. They basically made a sword out of a couple of pieces of wood and a crown out of some like grass and twigs mm-hmm. and um, a scale out of some twigs. And they use those things to fight the horsemen because the horsemen have their scales and their sword and their mm-hmm. crown. When I was watching this, um, so I remember having this conversation with my girlfriend where she was kind of like, this part to her didn't work. The idea that you have these supernatural creatures and they're defeated by a bunch of kids. And my reaction was they weren't defeated by the kids. They were defeated by Adam. But I mean, he flat out says, you know, it's hard enough to come up with stuff to keep Pepper and Brian and Wensleydale busy. So they have to play a part in this. And then I kind of thought about it more afterwards and said, no, actually, it is important that it's the humans who defeat these three, because these three are created by humans. Like, Hunger is a thing that exists, but famine as this evil embodied creature that hates you and wants you dead, that's a human invention. We created that. Very much so. Like, theologically speaking, it is a human creation. Like, it's not supposed to exist in, like, human, like humanity's most perfect form. Like, it made sense that the kids would defeat each embodiment because kids there's this black and white thinking which we lose as we grow up and we're like okay well it makes sense like some people have to have less some people have to have more that's how it works out and that's just how life is and kids are like no well that that's not fair that doesn't make sense and so like that really pure form of like justice and rage and service of justice it would defeat the embodiment of evil this is true. If you're saying the children of the future, humanity can stop war. They can stop famine. They can stop pollution. With with all three, like, so what if there was a war and nobody came? Right. Old hippie statement, and and pretty much that's human saying we are we do we deny war. Um, mm-hmm. Famine only exists because we don't distribute food fairly, because we produce plenty enough food for everyone. So famine absolutely can be defeated by choice and pestilence disease if everyone wears masks and stays home when they're sick yeah yeah. (laughs) that'll never happen (laughs) (laughs) and you know like we don't uh try to produce so much crap that we are getting you know we're we're getting into bat caves essentially and, and grabbing new and exciting viruses so yeah all three of them are largely the fault of human choice and human action. So human choice and human action can say no. We can, you know, pollution can be stopped by us just stopping overproduction. And kids are very good at getting to, like, the crux of the matter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, everything else is just detail to them. Yeah, w- willing the the means to stop these things into existence is, it's idealism. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's straight yep. up idealism. It is the perfect world. It's a utopia. And who's better at coming up with a perfect utopia than a kid? And all three of the kids have been prepped to be 
the antithesis for one of the three horsemen. Like <laughs> yes. that, that's presented right through <laughs> yeah. the series. So right. um, it's the fact that they're there and like, you know, they are Adam's four horsemen. Very much so. Yeah, we had discussed that before. Uh, you know, at least the three horsemen, because death, you know, death is natural. It's inevitable. Uh, but there's no defeating death. It's just something that occurs. Having Pepper uh, get rid of war by saying, I believe in peace, bitch. I, <laughs> it's just perfect. <laughs> That's just perfect for, for Pepper. She's just that character it's it's i just love the idea of like this angry little girl being like the opposite of war i mean it makes sense (laughs) like i get it actually being the angry little girl who grew up into an angry like big adult (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah aggressively peaceful (laughs) yes exactly it's like we're we're fighting for peace yeah there we go so a little behind the scenes trivia there's the scene where Famine and Wensleydale are wrestling, and the dog runs up and bites Famine in the in the leg. What a good so boy! The first time they filmed this, the dog got overexcited and bit David Tennant instead. <laughs> 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 so no no serious injuries were had in the making of this uh, <laughs> this episode. Just some a minor dog bite. Could be worse. One one nice little touch when uh, pollution goes down. Miranda Richardson does this fanning motion, like, "Wow, that's that stinks." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you have the scene where uh, Dagon is rallying the troops of Hell, which is just foul. I mean, I don't know what it is about the environment of Hell, but everybody has some form of skin disease. <laughs> it's the lack of sunlight. It could yeah. be no sunlight, Damn. no fresh air. It's it's bad for you. Yeah. No vitamin D in hell. No water. No no fresh water. <laughs> right. Just living off the drippings of... Uh, it, it, there is one guy in there uh, looking at the, the crowd scene. There's a guy in there that is a dead ringer for Billy Bob Thornton wearing a wig <laughs> that... <laughs> My eye just Maybe goes to are. him every time. <laughs> 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 that would be a great Easter egg cameo. Just, just put it me in the would. crowd in hell. Yeah. <laughs> so the the whole thing ends. Newt releases the computers because, as we know, he is uh, deaf to technology. And the only for hor- the only member of the Horsemen who is, remains is Death. He basically says, "You cannot destroy me because doing so would destroy the universe." And he fucks off. Yeah, <laughs> with a great with a great monologue of, from God. It was very pretty. It was. It I was like a gorgeous scene. Yeah. Death is just so dramatic. <laughs> yeah, I know. Drama queen. Jeez. It's just funny to me. Every time death is on screen, I laugh. Which, <laughs> in out of context, sounds terrible. So, so, so you're laughing in the face of death? I mean, what better way to go? Exactly. <laughs> I didn't realize you were such a daredevil. <laughs> I laugh in the face of death. <laughs> so uh, Newt and Anathema come come out to gather with everybody else on the on the airfield, and Crowley calls her book girl. <laughs> Which I think is hilarious. Oh, Are hey, human? Book girl. Book girl. <laughs> hey, book girl. Catch. What, so what I thought was funny about this scene is Anathema is like, you know, 
tell us what's going on. It's a long story. Try me. So Aziraphale starts with, well, first I met Crowley in the garden. Like, that's where the story... He he went to the beginning. In the beginning. How much time do you have? (laughs) Well, in the beginning was the war. He doesn't even start at the beginning beginning. He starts with, oh, well, I met Crowley in the garden and he was a snake. (laughs) Well, that's where the book begins. So, you know. Yeah, that's fair. I love how it's implied that for Aziraphale, that's the beginning that matters. Yes, Mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, he's had a whole life before then. Like, arguably, not even arguably, like, literally most of his life. And he's like, no, no, no. The beginning, I was born at the age of 60. That's essentially what he just said. It's also, that's the point at which his life went off the rails. Right? That was the first time that he acted for himself. Mm Mm-hmm. He actually started living. Yeah. Yes. He's, this is that's his, so that's the beginning of his life. Before that, he had existence. Right. Because heaven's just boring. I mean, it is no stimulation anywhere. My God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Except for Sound of Music songs. Oh God. <laughs> there's a great. There's a imagine? great little callback to that later. Which. Yep. Yeah. Yes, there is. <laughs> So then Gabriel and Beelzebub show up. So in the book, um, most of the angels uh, that you see in the show are not actually characters in the book. Gabriel gets mentioned by name, but he never shows up as a character. Instead, you get the Metatron, who appears as a young man made out of golden fire. Beelzebub shows up looks exactly the same except the fire is red so they saved on cg you know and then also beelzebub doesn't have the skin condition beelzebub (laughs) shows up with clear skin no flies just a fly hat yes so that's how she manifests her animal aspect it's a russian fuzzy whatever you call those things (laughs) balaclava or yeah (laughs) So then they have this whole argument with Adam about you have to start the war. It's what you're for. It is written. One of the things that was left out of the show that is much more clearly outlined in the book is that Adam and his friends have uh, an ongoing war with another gang, the same age as them, called the Johnsonites, who are led by a boy named Greasy Johnson who has the exact same birthday as Adam and keeps tropical fish. <laughs> could, could that be the, uh, the, the uh, baby bee from yes. the beginning? Oh, it yes. is. Yes, okay. baby bee grows up and starts his own gang. And so Adam's gang and the Johnsonites um, have <laughs> this Johnson, ongoing yeah. fight. And one of the things that comes up is they have an actual discussion where it's like, if the Johnsonites, if we ever actually beat them and they went away, that would be no fun. Because part of having an opposing gang is like the fun of fighting each other. Like if you, if one of, you don't want either side to win, you want the fight mm-hmm. to go on because that's the fun part. Yep. So when Adam is confronting Beelzebub and Gabriel, he's saying, you just want to have this war to figure out whose gang is best. Like, he's he's basically saying, you're stupid for wanting to, to end this. Right. There's no point to it. And they're like, you know, don't you want to rule the world? And he's like, yeah, that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> 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 well, he's not wrong. I'm 11. I just want to 
hang out with my friends. It's 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 hard enough finding stuff to keep these guys busy. You know, I'm not doing right. that for the whole planet. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Aziraphale comes up with his wonderful rules lawyering about the ineffable plan. Yeah. I was like, you got it. You got there, Zerfell, finally, <laughs> in the nick of time. <laughs> it's a great plan, but is it the ineffable plan? They're not, they don't mean the same thing. For one thing, you can know what the great plan is, but you can't know what the ineffable plan is on account of it being ineffable. Exactly. So there's the moment where Crowley is like, oh, oh, and he realizes where Zerfell is going with this, and he runs in to back him up, and he's like, so we all know what the great plan is, right? Everybody nods their head, except Newt stands there and shakes his head. No <laughs> Newt just showed up. <laughs> Newt is just along for the ride. No idea what's going on. Yeah, he, he's, he's just uh, holding up traffic, so to speak. So there's a scene in here that I want to bring up because it was like, you know, I've watched the show 40 times. And on watch number 38, I noticed something that I had never seen before when Gabriel and Beelzebub turn their backs and go, you know, I have to go back home and try to explain what the hell's going on. Gabriel says they have 10 million angels. And then Beelzebub says, try and get 10 million demons to put down the weapons and go back to work. And that's the point where it clicked. You have exactly 10 million on each side. Mm hmm. When God caused the demons, the rebellious angels, to fall, she split them exactly in half. Like, that could not have been a coincidence. Mm -hmm. It was intentional that both sides have the exact same forces. Mm -hmm. So, like I've been saying all along, I don't think Crowley knows why he fell. And I think that explains why. You have a lot of demons who maybe ne weren't necessarily bad. They were just in the wrong place at the wrong time, or they had bad friends, or... You know, they were just a pain in the ass. And they ended up falling because she needed to make up those numbers. And that also explains why Aziraphale never fell. For all the shit that he's done, for lying to God, for giving away his sword, for, you know, rebelling against heaven, he's never going to fall because the sides are already set. The sides were set way back when she did the original mm -hmm. fall. The side, she needed the same number on both sides. Now we're done. You can do anything as an angel. You're still on the same side. Yep. There, there's something random about it that, uh, yeah, that makes it more ineffable. I just, that, that really hit me because, like, it's almost heartbreaking to think that, like, Crowley became a demon, not really because of anything he did. He's a victim of circumstance. And the way he's terrified of Satan. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like the way it, I notice this, notice that in this scene, like he speaks of God where he's like, I still respect God. I still like yield to God. God like trumps things in a way that I feel like a normal demon wouldn't talk about God versus Satan where he's like, oh shit. Oh fuck. I got to get out of here. I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> and it seems a bit backwards. Like when I sat back and really thought about it, I was like, mm, that seems wrong for a demon like Crowley was like just his tone and his choice of words like like I felt like affection almost I it was weird yeah the scene where um Satan is coming and Crowley almost gets yanked down to the ground so so some people have said that like he it looks almost like he's being pulled like he has a, a necklace that's like chains mm -hmm. links and it's almost like he's been yanked down by his chains yeah 
He's in definite. He's definitely in real physical pain, and it didn't yeah. seem like a voluntary move. Like, oh, guys, watch out! He's coming. <laughs> like, no, it was kind of like, yeah. And Curly gets his swear. We have three swears in the show. <laughs> Zerofell got the first one. Crowley got the second one. We are fucked. Mm-hmm. Shadwell gets up there and says, anyone who wants to hurt hurt the whore of Babylon has to go through me. <laughs> oh, Mr. Shadwell. He's got the weirdest love language, I swear. He <laughs> does. <laughs> such a freak. <laughs> So, so there's there's a scene where where Azurfell is holding his sword and he looks at Crowley and says, "Come up with something, or I'll never speak to you again." <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I was of two minds about this. One, I thought that was funny to threaten because nobody believes you. But at this point, Azurfell, um, <laughs> but uh, I was like. Aziraphale, you're at least as powerful as Crowley. So what is going on here? I thought about this throughout the episode, actually, where it just seemed like Aziraphale was just kind of lacking. And I was like, is that a choice? Or is that actually like you aren't like, is your skill set floundering or do you not have it anymore? Did you never have it? Well, uh, I I think angels know uh inherently that they can't take on satan demons also know it too but maybe crowley has some insight some you know something some little trick up his sleeve that he could use to you know find the little the, the little chink in the armor so to speak you know what what sort of thing does he have on satan that an angel wouldn't just from having spent so much time that's that's kind of what I was wondering as well. Like, Azurfell came up with the, you know, ineffable plan bullshit to fend off heaven because that's kind of more what he's good at mm-hmm. is the rules lawyering and the wiggling around the rules. But now they're in an emergency situation and probably is the fast thinker when things go catastrophic. So. Yep come up with a plan. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll have your back, but I need you to come up with a plan. Right. I got nothing. I got a, I, I got a sword that's not even flaming anymore, you know. And the whole I'll never or I'll never talk to you again to me didn't come across as a threat so much as a this is what will happen if we don't figure out a way out of this, we'll never see each other again. And that's the worst thing that mm-hmm. could happen after everything we've been through. Yeah, for both of them. This is Satan coming on. Satan can kill all of us here. Like, yeah, yeah, I won't speak to you again because I'll be dead and so will you. Forever. <laughs> that was my read on it. Yeah. That's, that's true. So Crowley stops time. This did not happen in the book. What happened in the book actually is like Crowley's getting packed up to leave. He's like, yep, they're in trouble. Um, we're, we're going. <laughs> and and, and Azurabelle's like, no, we can't. We have to help. And so Crowley's like, all right. <laughs> I'm I'm I've got your back, Angel. And so like this whole thing where they they pull Adam out of time, I think it works really well. I think it it like effectively gives Adam a minute to breathe so mm-hmm. that you know he can come up with this plan to defeat Satan. Which is something that he didn't get in the book. It is kind of weird to have this guy who like rolled up in a Jeep and tried to kill you. <laughs> now saying okay i've got your back but hey it's been a weird day he was desperate (laughs) he was running on fumes 
And Adam, yep. at this point, I mean, he's seen death. And, you know, he's seen the four horsemen of the apocalypse. All of a sudden, these two guys, one's an angel, one's a demon. Okay. You know, like, <laughs> your day just isn't going to get any... It, it can't get any weirder and hasn't... <laughs> this might as well happen. <laughs> and in fact, he's, he's also seen Balzi, you know, Belzebub and and the Archangel Gabriel, like, ye yelling at these two guys. So, <laughs> he's just kind of taking everything in stride because why not? What else are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> And because also that's the way he's grown, it's the way he's grown up, right? Like, you know, he lives in the world, he reacts to the world, he, he, just, he just is. It's like he's got a great imagination and his world has been his imagination, so anything mm -hmm. is possible. This is mm -hmm. entirely possible. That all of a sudden I'm standing in the desert right outside the Garden of Eden talking to these guys. Uh, the sword's flaming again, I did notice that. Yep. Yeah. It's a roll tide moment. I mean, what else you gonna say? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sometimes you just gotta say, what the fuck? <laughs> and it also makes clear that Adam is like you've got angel, devil, human. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, it it's making it clear that Adam is a Adam is a human. Like that's mm. what he is. And he has a little angel on one shoulder and the little devil on <laughs> right? the little devil Fred Flintstone on the other shoulder. And both shoulder. of them want what's best for him. Yeah. You know? So they get zapped back into time and Benedict Cumberbatch comes out of the concrete. <laughs> <laughs> is that Benedict? It's own right. Um, <laughs> that is Benedict Cumberbatch. It is a, that I don't is know if he's doing like you know yes. motion capture or anything, but it's definitely his voice. Done up in uh, prosthetics and and rubber foam and the whole bit. It's all CG, so I think he's just is doing it? the voice. You know, it's not it's not like a smog ah, kind of okay. thing. He's just in the booth. So what I thought was funny about that scene, he's like, "Where is my rebellious son?" I was like, "Oh, you don't like it when it's you, huh?" <laughs> 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 yeah. I was like, oh, you get the kid you deserve, huh? Shoes on the other hoof. <laughs> what's that what's that parental curse made you have children? Just like you. <laughs> put you through what you put through yeah. me. Yeah. Put me yeah. through, yeah. Um, I relate. <laughs> <laughs> and Adam's response is just brilliant. You're not my real dad. You know, a, a real father doesn't show up when you're 11 years old to give you shit. I was like, I'll put in the anti and antichrist. <laughs> the literal opposite of what, what Jesus did. <laughs> and, and because he has all this power, that becomes true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Satan all of a sudden is just like, bang, yep. God. Reality <laughs> listens to him. Yep. And his real dad appears. In his car. In the Sid Rat car. What the hell is going on here? <laughs> you can finally see his license plate. Sid Rat. TARDIS backwards. Yes! Nerds everywhere rejoice. Brilliant. You gotta wonder what it's like for Mr. Young. He goes to pick up his kid and there's all these weirdos, you know, hanging around in the... the airfield bunch of passed out soldiers all over the place <laughs> one guy holding a sword another guy holding like a starting crank for a 1934 bentley yeah <laughs> he's just true, picking up true. random pieces of metal as weapons sidrat is also the name of the knockoff tardises used in the final patrick troughton uh doctor who story uh the war games 
which is about, I think it's a, 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 a species who have basically kidnapped armies and soldiers from, from throughout time and space and have them fight each other for funsies. And they have like a, I think a pet kidnapped Time Lord or, or like, uh, who, who has built these like knockoff TARDISes that are called Sid Rats. A pet rat named Sid. Huh. That's also where Sid Vicious got his name. Isn't, was, wasn't that it? Like, uh, you know, John Ritchie yes. went up to pet uh, John Lydon's rat and he bit him and it's like, Sidney's just vicious. Hey. Yep. I believe that's right. That's strange. That somebody would steal something from Doctor Who? Really? No. Right? <laughs> no, who would do that? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So the, so the confrontation ends with um, night has fallen and Crowley and Aziraphale are sitting on a bench at the bus stop, sharing a bottle of wine, passing it back and forth and drinking straight out of the bottle because it's been a day. Probably a Monday. I am completely sympathetic. Leslie comes back to get his package. <laughs> Michael Sheen's line, imagine how bad it'd been if we'd, all, if we'd been at all competent. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That is straight out of the book. <laughs> Yeah, I still don't think that uh, they would have been able to kill Adam. I don't think Adam was in any danger from the, the thunder gun of uh, Witchfinder Dullywimple or whatever his name was. So they have this really heartbreaking scene where where Crowley reminds him that his bookshop burned down while he was in heaven. And, you know, you can come and stay with me. We're on our own side now. It's a callback. Bittersweet. So there's, so some questions came up because uh, in the book, when they're facing Satan, they hold hands. They're like, all right, we're in this together. And they, they take each other's hand. And somebody said, so they held hands in the book. Did they ever held, hold hands in the show? And, and uh, Neil Gaiman said they did, but you have to uh, watch very carefully because it goes by really quickly. And so somebody confirmed that when they actually get on the bus and sit down, Zerfell goes to sit next to Crowley and takes his hand. Yeah, that, that is a really nice moment with the uh, the delivery driver with Leslie. If I was telling my wife what happened today, she wouldn't believe me. He's like, yeah, pretty much. Not at all. And I wouldn't blame her. <laughs> yeah, so all the gear goes back into storage yep. for the next round. Armageddon 2, Electric Boogaloo. Um, so for the second half of this episode, um, most of it focuses on what happens to Crowley and Aziraphale afterwards. None of this is in the book. In the book, the they just basically say, well, I think, you know, um, our bosses are embarrassed and just kind of want to brush it under the table. And so there's never any mention of any repercussions. So because the, all the characters go their separate ways... Um, there's a lot of back and forth, so rather than follow it scene by scene, I figured yes. we could do it character by character. So let's start off with Shadwell and Tracy. That is such a sweet love story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I, in, I don't in, see in it. In its own weird, <laughs> horrible way, it's like Shadwell just does not get that he's... Uh, that he's been falling in love with her this entire time, or he's loved her this entire time. It's always been such a uh, confrontational uh, relationship that he doesn't... Yeah. But obviously <laughs> they're both into it. <laughs> but he does not know how to deal with it at all. Every look on his face is just terror. So I, I noticed when she came in to invite him mm -hmm. into her apartment, she's very dressed down. 
Like she's not wearing the red wig and she's wearing no makeup mm-hmm. or very demure makeup. One of the two. And so she brings him in for dinner and she basically says, you know, I'm going to retire from, from the Jezebel <laughs> business <laughs> and get a little place yeah, in the like country. I, t- I was like, like oh, to she took her she took her costume off. Like, it's, yep. you know, that's what she did for work. And she stayed in character more like more often than not. And now she's kind of like, you know what? I can I can be myself now. Like, yeah, she's just Tracy, not Madam Tracy. And Shadwell's response, well, I suppose I ought to pop the question then. She said, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> How many nipples do you have, Jezebel? <laughs> Just the two. <laughs> She's like, retired Jezebel, <laughs> Mr. S. <laughs> but he's just terrified by the prospect of everything. Yeah, well, he's, you know, yep. he's going to give it a try. whirl, as it were. Yeah, they are they are such an odd relationship. Like I said, a sweet love story. Um, like when, when I wonder if he ever stops calling. Well, they're her getting a little bungalow together, like, so you know it'll be the bungalow of iniquity. <laughs> their bungalow we'll be of iniquity. Their den of iniquity. <laughs> so I noticed when uh, she first uh, knocks on his door, he's looking at some kind of encyclopedia, and there's a picture of the usher. Yeah, I saw the little fat dude. Yeah, I saw him. <laughs> I was like, oh, I, and it's the first time I caught that detail. Yeah. It's like, what book is he reading? He, he, is, a, he is a documented demon. Well, ex-demon now. Yeah, he's, he's not anything now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the usher has been ushed. See, I can't, I can't see usher being, like... An angel. Like, what did he look like (laughs) before he fell? Yeah. Oh, a sheriff would be the ugliest kind of demon, too. They're kind of ugly as angels. But in the, in the, uh, in in the, sorry, just, just, I've I've got the, that scene pulled up. The, uh, in the drawing in the book that, that he's reading, he's got little glasses. And I think they were drawn on, I'm seeing notes, you know, from other pages coming through. So he drew little glasses on, on the usher. That's cute. That's kind of uh, a bit of a shout out to Anathema drawing this on the true. cover page of Agnes Nutter's prophecy. Yes. No one stopped her. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's 300 hers, year old you know, book and she's drawing right. She might as well. So next we go to Anathema and Newt waking up together in the morning and we find out why Newt's car is named <laughs> Dick Turpin. <laughs> Beautiful. It holds up traffic. (laughs) (laughs) I figured you'd like that joke. It's the ultimate dad joke. So we get the scene where Mr. Batacom shows up at the door. That is the same actor who played Kane. Oh, really? I knew he looked familiar. Nice. You you should you uh, may recall him better if he had a murderous expression. Well, the smile he had on his face was creepy enough. So Mm. yeah. So one of the things I thought was interesting is he uh, had the package for Mr. and mm-hmm. Mrs. Pulsifer. So that implies that Anathema and Newt stay together and eventually get married. I'm guessing mm-hmm. Agnes is predicting that this is a relation. This is going to be a long-term thing. Anathema obviously recognizes what's going on here. She's mm-hmm. like, 
this is from Agnes. I recognize her style. Yeah, she's like, trying to hide so almost. <laughs> like if, if she yeah. like doesn't acknowledge it directly, yeah. it, it's not happening. Yep. But she spent her whole life like having to do what she was told by great ancestor, and she thought she's finally free, and then boom. No, you're not. <laughs> With the deepest sigh. I love the little note for Mr. Batacom. Yep. I mean, he runs same. away, but he takes the coin with him. <laughs> I'm Take also the taking the 300-year-old coin with me. It, it, it's worth a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think like later on in the uh, near the end of the episode, we see the scene where they have a little campfire. And oh, I was hot about burn. that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I yeah, you know what? Yeah. I would have given it to Azurafel in her in her situation. I can sort of see why she would say, no, I'm going to burn it, because there's stuff in there that's important that I have to be involved with. Azerva will come get me, and I don't want that. <laughs> I was just like, no, that could be handy. But, like, I would have I handed it off to the angel. Like, if there's going to be more shenanigans in the future, somebody needs to know what's going on. You're the better person to, to take care of this. Anybody is other than me. Part of it anymore. Or future record. Yeah. I I just would not have I would not have burned it. I just wouldn't have it. <laughs> no one says she has to look at it, but don't get rid of it. Yeah. I wonder though, like so since yeah. she didn't look at it and Agnes Nutter's prophecies are always right and accurate if all those pages are in fact blank. Cuz Agnes knew that Anathema would burn it, so she didn't bother to write it. Yeah. That's the paradox, isn't it? That it did Agnes, no. She had to have to. Maybe it was... So So if I figure... If I go by the, the theory that Agnes actually knew that Anathema was going to burn it, maybe it was her way of saying you have a choice about how you live mm -hmm. the rest of your life. We will never yeah. know. It's an active choice rather than, rather than just, you know, my job ended and I'm laid off now and I don't know what to do with myself. She has made the active choice Free to go will. out and be something yeah. other than a descendant. That makes sense. Yeah, so yeah, she... so by delivering the book in that way, it creates that, which ties into the whole theme of this episode being about people getting to make a choice yep. about who they're going to be. Exactly. And, and when you think about it, Anathema is of all the people who had a predestined um, fate, she's really the only one who went along with it, mm -hmm. her predestination, right up until the very end. This is her last chance to say, I am my yep. own person and I make my own choices. And so Agnes Which is the best that. gift that she could have given her. Yeah. I like yeah. this theory. Nice. I, I'm going to roll with this. This is my new headcanon now. Do you think they keep in touch? Do you think the people who are together at the at the airfield, like, have have <laughs> reunions or, or, like, a group chat on <laughs> Discord or something? Or they just, like, keep in touch? <laughs> I could see Madam Tracy saying, you yeah. know, sending people cards <laughs> at Christmas Dad just shows up and stands in the corner and doesn't <laughs> have any idea what's going on still. You know? Anathema <laughs> isn't going home. We know this. I mean, she might. I mean, Newt might move back to the U.S. with her, but, you know. If she stays put, Newt's eventually going to work for Twitter. So, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> which explains a lot. The one person Elon Musk hired, yeah, <laughs> or didn't fire. 
gave him a promotion, in fact. Uh-oh. So, um, yeah, we don't necessarily know that, that she stayed in Tadfield, though. She was just renting yeah. the cottage. Maybe they go back to Dorking, wherever Newt's from. I don't even know where that is. She can, she can, she can go anywhere she wants. She's, she's fine. So next we go to Adam and them. Now in the book, Adam explicitly tells everybody to forget what happened because it's you know a lot yep. for an eleven-year-old. I don't like that decision because again, there's this this whole theme of agency, telling people that they can't remember shit mm-hmm. that happened to them, even if it's dramatic shit. Just doesn't seem to fit with the rest well, of the I theme. Well, I think the writers agree with you because, like, there's that mini scene that aside on the bench between the two, and they're like, the government's telling us to, that it was a mass hallucination, and, and he dude's like, yeah, right. <laughs> My sister got eaten, or, you know, the crew got <laughs> eaten, and so... <laughs> the hallucination ate our trade delegation. Uh-huh. So everything that happened in the last 24 hours got replaced. So, like, the Bentley in the bookstore are back. The, you know, the sort of. M25 is back. Um, Leslie is back. What happened to Atlantis? I was wondering what happened to Atlantis. Atlantis is, one assumes, gone. Well, and presumably it sunk Crap because it gone. went. things went back to the way they were in a general sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If yeah. the bookshop, if the bookshop's back, then Atlantis is under the the ocean again, kind of a thing. But if it's like you know, just the past twenty four hours is undone, yet you know, Atlantis happened forty eight hours ago. <laughs> is it now? Uh... They had an entire yeah. week of weird yeah. shit with aliens and Atlanteans and brains of fish. <laughs> so yeah. Maybe this and others, you know, and much more will be revealed in season two. Who's to know? Yeah. So, so definitely the the Saturday got canceled out. They they right. did Saturday yep. over again. Um, <clears throat> and so Anathema and Newt actually have a conversation. You know, did we save the world yesterday? I'm not sure. So, so possibly because. Um, Adam kind of like overwrote that 24 hours. Memories are definitely fuzzy. True. Hmm. I think there's also a bit of what the hell was this that we did? Like we went into, you know, an, an Air Force base and stopped nuclear Armageddon. That's not something that you you do. <laughs> so, right. And and also like, you know, there was angels and demons and it's just a lot to to wrap your head around, I think. Yeah, I read it the same way like did that really just happen yeah i think so maybe something happened i don't know what something happened because <laughs> whatever it was it ain't normal so adam's grounded <laughs> <laughs> because you know even if i don't know what you did wrong you do <laughs> and apparently you know almost bringing about the end of the world will get you in trouble with your parents um and i love how dramatic kids are like they're like, how long are you going to be grounded for? Oh, years, years and years. What about tomorrow? <laughs> no, oh, tomorrow yeah, fine. Tomorrow. Forget it. <laughs> but would, will he have made them forget? Or is does he not have that power anymore? Oh, he, well, he says, you yeah. know, they always do. So I think he's just figuring, you know, if previous patterns will hold, mom, mom is the softie. Yep. She'll let me out tomorrow. So 
I swear to God, like I said, I have watched the show 40 times, and this is the first time, my first rewatch, where it kind of clicked that the very last scene with Adam is him being disobedient and leaving the garden <laughs> <laughs> and stealing and stealing an apple. And I'm like, so <laughs> 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 oh, how much more obvious can symbolism be? And I just kind of... And what was the, the voiceover... Told us basically what was going on. What was the voiceover? There hasn't been an apple that uh, wasn't... There never was an apple, in Adam's opinion, that wasn't worth the trouble you got into for eating it. This kid has never had a red delicious. (laughs) It's because he lives in, you know, a magical world. Where he's eating apples right off the tree. He's living in a world where he, where, like, that people are supposed to live in, not one that's been screwed up by the machinations of heaven and hell. Or an humanity. apple from a tree he's not supposed to be eating an apple from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. No. no subtlety there. <laughs> and yet. <laughs> oh, come on. Be nice to show. I didn't spot it either until, <laughs> like, I hadn't spotted it until Siobhan mentioned it. I'm like, yeah, how dumb am I? <laughs> it's okay. I used to get questions wrong on tests all the time because the obvious answers seemed too obvious to me. So I thought it was a trick question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yep. yeah. I could see that. <laughs> so I'm just, uh, yes, I'm just going to say this is a trick <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, there isn't a guy guarding the tree with a sword. And he wasn't encouraged to do it by a snake. So, clearly, it's totally different. So yeah. It doesn't count. It was... And his yeah. name is Adam. So, uh, <clears throat> and he doesn't, he doesn't have an Eve, you know, egging him on. Just a pepper. So, the whole, so the whole as I was saying earlier, the whole punishment uh, of Aziraphale and Crowley was completely for the show. We see... Um, Aziraphale back at the bookshop, looking at the books and seeing, you know, there's some things that are a little bit different than they were before the, the bookshop. And so revealed. this is actually a really important bit. The new books, the Just William series, uh, they're a series of uh, short stories that were written between the 20s and the 50s um, about an 11-year-old boy called William who lives in a small village in southern England and... Uh, he, ha- he is confident, strong-willed, independent-minded, who thinks for himself, um, just like Adam. Uh, he leads a gang called the Outlaws, which is that there, there are three... Um, uh, there, there are three members of the gang, uh, Ginger, Henry, and Douglas. Um, and he has a dog called... A, a mongrel called Jumble. Um... His, there is a rival gang in the village uh, called uh, the Hubert Laneites, <laughs> led by Hubert Lane, um, who is the antithesis of William in that he's a git. Um, and so, <laughs> like, basically, yeah, like, the Adam is, so basically these stories are, like, the inspiration for Adam and, and, and his gang, or within the world, the Just oh. William stories I never would have known that. Like Adam's stories turned into book form. Mm -hmm. With an added little crossover that what it was, there was a televised version of this done in the 70s. um, 
with one of the major characters and it was played by uh, Bonnie Langford who is um Sylvester McCoy not Sylvester McCoy yeah um Colin Baker and Sylvester McCoy's companion in Doctor Who and her particular thing in 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 um the Just Williams stories is that the character um is very uh selfish and demanding and her catchphrase is and i'll scream and scream and scream until i'm thick <laughs> and i can you know and then screams really really loudly which is one of the traditional requirements for a doctor awesome. who compa companion right to get into trouble i'd be able to scream really loudly <laughs> so um Aziraphale goes back to the bookshop um, and sees that his bookshop is still in one piece. And then we get the scene where Crowley comes out of his apartment and sees his Bentley. He yeah, doesn't get in the Bentley. Yeah, he hails he calls a, cab, a cab. And that was the moment that I said, hang on, because Crowley would never take a cab if his Bentley was right there. That So I didn't, I don't, I don't know that I would say that I knew that they had body swapped, but I knew right away that something was... There was a plan. There was something was going on. Yeah, be careful which face you choose. Is, and then uh, when you see them in the park, yeah. Mm -hmm. Then when you see them in the park together, and they're they're talking about what happened, um, Azurfell's body language is all wrong. Azurfell's circling Crowley. So, like, I don't know if you've seen, you've noticed in some of the other scenes where they're together. Like, you especially see it in the Globe Theater. Crowley does this thing where mm -hmm. he circles Azurfell for a couple minutes before he. Settled, almost like he he kind of looks around and like it's almost a protective movement looking for angels looking for demons it, i'm sure it is a protective movement right like Azurafield being an angel assumes that everything is fine when you're a demon everyone's potentially an enemy there's a couple of clues there about what the plan is i wonder if uh Azurafield who likes the strawberry lollies and uh the demon is into the vanilla with a flake, which looks like a either a mm. churro or a Kit Kat. I'm not sure. Flakes are, are uh, chocolate bars. They're um, you know how arrows have all the bubbles in them. Flakes are kind of okay. like that, but it's like it's very puffy. Lots of air. I don't have them in the U.S. Obviously, flakes are like um, essentially strands of chocolate, like bundled together like a rope, kind of a thing. I'm sure there's I'm sure there's something here, but I, I, I don't know. Yeah, the, yeah. The candy. So. Yeah, it sounds One great. of those it's shoved hot. into I a get, vanilla ice cream sounds cream. brilliant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Strawberry popsicle sounds good too. So they get so they get kidnapped. Zerfell, uh they see death <laughs> first of all in the park, which is like, oh, that's a bad sign. And then he turns around, and Zerfell's getting dragged off. <laughs> And Azurafel is dragged off to the sound of music. Yeah. <laughs> Renegade angels all tied up with strings. These are a few of our favorite things. <laughs> and then uh, Crowley just gets the crowbar across the back of the head. So, you know, every I I've seen this episode so many times, and that bit gets me every time. It is so shocking and violent. <laughs> I never see it coming, and I'm always, like, offended on his behalf. Well, well, Haster doesn't look that bad in a wig. So it's Haster, Dagon, and there's a new demon who has, like, a really messed up face. 
in those three. And when Aziraphale gets dragged off, uh, Ur- Uriel and Sandalfon are the ones, you know, doing the sound of music, but it's two completely new angels who are actually kidnapping Aziraphale. So they, they've got thugs involved. <laughs> They're just generic thug angels. I mean, there's 10 million of them, so, you know, they need to, 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 to give other angels a chance to do something useful once in a while, right? What, what you were talking about earlier, the body language, where I caught it was when uh, Crowley's going down, he says, this is not a problem, it's tickety-boo. That's where I caught it. I was like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's mm-hmm. not really Crowley. Crowley would never say that. <laughs> so we see Azurfell when he gets up to heaven, is like tied to a chair in this one of these enormous blank mm. rooms. And you can, again, you can see the buildings out through the window. What I remember most about this scene is Gabriel is so pleased with himself. And he says, you, you'll never see this coming. Except for they did. Like, he's so, they do, obviously. <laughs> he's so giddy that he doesn't like, as I feel like, Crowley as Aziraphale is much more obvious than the other way around, even though if, I guess if you're paying attention, you know what to look for. But mm-hmm. I'm like, the way Azir- Crowley as Aziraphale is acting in this scene, Gabriel should have known something was up. Because Aziraphale never shuts up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God bless him. And he all like the his expression when it comes to the angels is always like apologetic <coughs> or terrified terrified he has a he has he's very animated but none of them are just pure hatred and the way crowley as azirafel is looking at gabriel and the rest of them is just kind of like i can't wait to fuck you guys up like (laughs) (laughs) i'm setting you on fire he's very assured and confident (laughs) here but in in an extremely negative space and so like i don't know why gabriel's like what's wrong with you because that's it's clearly not Zerfell's normal like thing. It's because because Gabriel is an executive. True. So he doesn't pay any attention to min- to underlings, right? Bosses don't care about the workers. Don't pay attention to them at all. Like that's and applies on both sides. They see they see how the person has acted when they were pretending to be an obedient soldier. But now this is, you know, the the the, the pretense is over. Yeah, and right. it took me a few few watches over the last few years to catch this. And I'm like, Aziraphale as Crowley is not walking like Crowley. That's the first clue right there. Like, the entire gate has changed. And nobody's like, huh. Like, yeah, that's true. true, too. <laughs> but nobody goes, huh, mm-hmm. you're awfully straight. <laughs> this is someone who has never danced a good way too straight to be crowley (laughs) yeah like he's very upright upright and walking like from point a to point b in a very like she's straight (laughs) yeah like he is not gonna (laughs) fail you know you know, the drug test, the walk a straight line so I can, like, yeah. uh, he's mm-hmm. not going to fail that. Crowley will every time, but, you know, <laughs> not as Aerofell as Crowley. I'm Sober like, or not. Y'all are not paying attention. So it's an interesting piece of acting because um, 
Michael Sheen is not playing Crowley. Michael Sheen is playing Crowley pretending to be Aziraphale. <laughs> and it's Aziraphale, not as Aziraphale no. really is, but how Crowley yeah. sees him. So, you know, there's that self-confidence and that self-assuredness. Crowley sees that in Aziraphale because mm -hmm. he interacts with him on a regular basis, right? They spent 11 years practically living together when they were raising Warlock. When he was working as the nanny and Aziraphale was the gardener. They have a very different relationship than anybody else in heaven has with Aziraphale. And so this is him acting yep. as the Aziraphale that he so. knows, not the one that heaven knows. That's good. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't seen him in that context of interacting with angels. So it's like, this is how he always is. Well, not yeah. when yeah. he's really dealing with angels, yeah. Not not in heaven, because heaven scares him. Like, he's very... Uh... Right. And I think there's also an element in which, like, they... they... Can't, they're not perfect actors, so some elements of their own personalities are going to creep out. <laughs> yeah, especially the death glares when, you know, Gabriel says, shut your stupid mouth and die already. The look yeah. that Crowley gives him should set him on fire. <laughs> but this could lead to the breakdown that leads to Gabriel's mm -hmm. character yeah. in uh, season two, from what I've seen from, uh, from previews. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and Gabriel gets the third square. <laughs> Don't talk to me about the greater good sun sunshine. I'm the archangel fucking Gabriel. <laughs> I'm the boss. I decide what the greater good is. And uh, we get another shot of the disposable demon who comes up and delivers the the fire. There is the scene where um, Crowley as Aziraphale blows fire at them. You do see Gabriel put yeah, his arms angel. out in front of the other two angels. So he, he does try to, to protect his people. So the whole time this is going on, Crowley's in hell. I'm having a great time. Aziraphale as Crowley oh, yeah. is in hell. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing you can do to me here. So, so, both, so both of them start off almost worried. Like I, I, First of all, I think maybe they're not 100% sure they're going to get away with this. And secondly, there might be some worry about is this going to, like, is the Hellfire going to damage Azurfell's body? Um, is getting in the water going to hurt Crowley's body, even though I know it won't hurt me? Well, it's not like they're possessing each other's bodies. They're just taking on the form. Yeah, I guess so. I'm, not, I'm kind of fuzzy where that, where that ends and where it, like, if, if, if you're if you're an angel and you can just like look like anything you want. I was thinking that last night and I've never thought about this in the last four years I've been watching the show. I was like, y'all don't so is there nothing like quintessentially like a demon or an angel that makes it clear which one you're looking at? Because <laughs> they should not be able to fool. At least an archangel shouldn't be fooled. You notice that they have to touch to trade places. They say swap back and they have to take each other's hands to change their form. Mm -hmm. So so it's more than just an appearance. There's something that they are swapping. Yeah. And like, I mean, they're both the same thing. They're, they're both the angels originally. Right? So, and, and I think part of the point of this is that the two sides are the same. Right? They're both like they're both armies hell bent on war. 
Mm -hmm. Like, they are heaven or hell bent on war. Um, the leaders are the same, right? Like, so the right. fact that they can't tell the difference, and, um, but, or that they can disguise as one another, makes sense because they are, ultimately, it's just a, which uniform are they wearing? Right. Right? You know, like... An American puts on a Soviet uniform, a Soviet puts on an American uniform. Can you tell the difference? No, they're soldiers. You know? Um, and then the other, and, and from the other point of view, it's that the, 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 the top, you know, the, the management don't see the workers as real people. They don't care, they don't look closely at them. They don't pay attention. They don't really know what they look like. They don't, because they don't care. They don't, you know, they are just pawns to be used in their games. These are two rebellious pawns, so they grabbed the rebellious pawn that they wanted. They didn't think about the pot, and they're so, you know, they right. have their own so cunning, clever plan. Yeah. They don't assume that, you know, like, Azrafel and or yeah. Crowley could have their own cunning, clever plans too, because they're just stupid pawns, right? Like, think of these guys as billionaires, Right, you know, um, who are these are the kind of people like you know Gabriel and, and, and Beelzebub would be perfectly William willing to get into uh, a submarine called Titan. So one of the things that the as an illustration of your point that you know they don't actually care about these people, Hester murders Usher. So like. Crowley's on trial, and one of the crimes, you know, the traitor's trial, and one of the crimes was killing Ligger. No, I don't think he who can. I guess did not get recreated in no. the last 24 hours. Um, um, so, uh, you know, he committed the murder of a fellow demon, and then Haster just casually right. picks up Escher and uses it to test the holy no, water. And he, he, he's asking, what did I do? Wrong place, wrong time. So it's perfectly okay to commit murder. <laughs> Just, you know. Laws are for other people. Uh, it's Shirley laws, right? As in, surely you'll be an exception. Shirley yeah. looks absolutely horrified when, when Usher dies. Like, yeah, whereas Zerifel is like, this is what would have happened to Crowley if, if I wasn't here. <laughs> yeah. Which is another clue that that's Azrafel, not Crowley, because Crowley would expect shit like that. Mm -hmm. And also... And also, they just casually murdered one of their own. Like, heaven doesn't do that. They would, yeah. they, heaven would just, have the appearance of a trial before killing an angel. Right? They would go by the rule book. Extraordinary rendition. They didn't, though. Heaven disappeared, Aziraphale. And the only reason why Crowley knew what happened to him is because he turned around at the right at the right time, the exact right moment. And Crowley gets a trial in. Yep. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. But nobody in heaven necessarily knows what happens to him. They just know that Aziraphale's like been banned. The show trial. Yeah. Crowley gets the trial in front of all the demons so that they can show what happens to traitors. Yeah, and you're right. He like heaven just extraordinarily <laughs> renditions, <laughs> and and black ops kills Azarafel because that they're the good guys. They don't do that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Like because they can't tell anybody about it because they they are the good guys. They are the upright country. They are America. And 
it means that you there's never any um, stories about people disobeying heaven. You never disobey yeah. heaven. Heaven is because anytime it happens, How they, <laughs> yes, we, and we are always right. right. So why would anyone? I, even think I do of have one one of the other little bits I like about it is the uh, the, the trade of envoys. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you yeah. get the disposable right. demon going to heaven, and you get Michael showing up in hell with a minor miracle, the small pitcher of holy water that turns into a full bathtub. It's a nice touch. <laughs> I gotta tell you, the first thing I thought when she walked into the scene was, what the fuck are you wearing? <laughs> it, yeah, it's a Seinfeld she puffy shirt. She brought out the, the big poofy shirt scarf. to show off or something. I don't know. And then by the time the the ex execution is over, Crowley is asking for a rubber duck. And so again, this is Azurafel playing Crowley as he sees Crowley. And not taking off his socks in the bath. Wise cracking, asking for a rubber <laughs> duck, making jokes. I I could see Crowley asking for the rubber duck. Like that 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 seemed legit. He's he's mocking the process yeah. now that he knows he's won. He would totally do that. So I like the fact that uh, Azurafel says, I think in future, I should be left alone. He doesn't say we, he says I. He's looking out for Crowley here. He's like making sure help mm -hmm. is after Crowley. And Haster, got to give him credit, is like, we can take him. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not the and smartest he knows exactly thing to what pose, it does. you know, in front of somebody who's got a literal bathtub of holy water. But, yeah, he's going to give it a go. <laughs> yeah. So I, I thought about this afterwards. It's like Haster had that showdown with Crowley in Crowley's apartment where he saw a drop of water fall on Crowley's finger and said, okay, that's not holy Ooh. water. But now he thinks that Crowley's immune right. to holy water. So he really has to think back if that was <laughs> the smartest thing he could have done at that so exact Haster's moment. So Haster's just being messed with from... Psychological warfare and losing. Yeah. Couldn't have happened to a nicer demon. So the actual um, show. So the uh, originally, I think they filmed the meeting in the foyer hmm. where the um, escalators were, but they they cut that part out and went straight to the park. And in the in the the order that the scenes take place, there's the line about. Um, Adam, you know, there's a whole scene with Adam leaving the garden and stealing an apple, and then they go to the park where Xerophil and Crowley meet up. So it took me a couple of watches to notice this, but Crowley freezes time when they switch. So like you can see the pigeons nice. in the background all freezing in the air. The thing I thought was interesting about this is that Crowley predicts that the next big war will be the uh, hell and heaven against humanity. And he says, it will be them against us. So they, they have completely aligned themselves with humanity. They are, humanity is now us. There's nowhere else for them to go. True. They kind of have to because like heaven and hell want them dead. You know, like they've been, they've been, They've been kicked out of heaven and hell, both of them. Mm -hmm. And they're not going back. They like humanity. They have gone native. Yeah, and also given the... And, and they actively chose to help humanity prevent the apocalypse. And I love their little exchange in the Ritz, where Xerophil 
<clears throat> where Zerfil tells Crowley, if, this would have happened if you weren't at heart just a little bit of a good person, Crowley tells Zerfil, and if you weren't deep down just enough of a bastard to be worth knowing. That's such a great line. Nice. So that those lines are straight out of the book, but they were exchanged on the airfield right before they face Satan. Yeah. It's kind of like, well, this might be the last time we see each other, but <laughs> I'm glad it's with you kind of kind of thing. And then, you know, Adam makes Satan go away. So there's a um, note from the director, uh, the very last scene where it shows them um, from behind sitting in the Ritz talking to each other. You can see the piano, the top of the piano, uh, kind of arching over Crowley's head. Oh, it's meant to nice, and it is a white piano on yeah. the wall where Aziraphale was holding his wing oh, over cute. Crowley's I like it. head in the rainstorm. It's yeah, it was done intentionally, and we end with the nightingale singing in Berkeley Square, sung by Tori Amos, who recorded it uh, at Neil's request. <laughs> She's a friend of his. And the lyrics. There was a magic. There was magic abroad in the air. There were angels dining at the Ritz. Aww. Ties, ties everything together, and uh, not Queen. Unless you leave it in the Bentley for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed the brass band in the uh, in the park uh, was playing "Lazing on a Sunday Afternoon" by Queen. Just, I love those little touches. Yep. So, any other thoughts? That's our season. I'm really excited for season two. Oh, oh me, God, too. me too. You this no was idea. so, so, so well done. And all the little Easter eggs we found through the rewatches. Oh, mm, I'm psyched. There is, there is so much. Like, every time I watch it, I think I notice something new. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. The director just packs it in. So I guess we'll call that an episode. That Ooh. is an episode. So we'd and like... And a season. And we've got a couple of weeks off before uh, before season two drops. Um, yeah. Not that you'd notice, listener, because we're kind of staggering the output of these things. So we should uh, we should hit it, hit it running, hopefully. If technical issues don't keep us from posting episodes. Not that that ever happens. <laughs> no, no, no. That, that no, never it's happens. always no. smooth sailing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially when it. I'm editing. Yeah. Uh, everything's on time. Everything's tickety-boo. Tickety-boo. <laughs> <laughs> so we'd like to thank Michael and Jen at the Watch Party Secret Island headquarters for sponsoring this nonsense. Thank Thanks, you, Michael, Thanks, and Jen. Michael and Jen. <laughs> We are just one of the many podcasts that Watch Party puts out, including Watch Party Wheel of Time, a Watch Party Lord of the Rings, and a Watch Party of Ice and Fire. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at gameandwatchparty at gmail.com. Uh, find us on Instagram at gameandwatchparty. We're uh, still trying to figure out the Discord. We will have it, I promise. But it's time for our final question. <laughs> Siobhan? So, final question. If you were to have a license plate that said something when read backwards, what would yours say? Mine would say, in its ram. Which is martini backwards. 
I'm going to have to go with Taco Cat because I like <laughs> it uh, either way. It's the same backwards and forwards. A palindrome just, yeah, just makes people think. Mm, I don't know how this would read backwards, but it, I, I, w- I would go with Made You Look. <laughs> See, I was cool. waiting for Boom Tide to come out of your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, it's probably taken somewhere in the state, and so I wouldn't be able to get that anyway. Would that be edit lore? Yeah. Edit Maybe. lore. Edit lore. Like, oh, that's so clever. <laughs> <laughs> but every version, I've seen so many versions of Roll Tide, I don't know how people keep inventing <laughs> new ways to say roll tide on their license plates there's only so many letters and so many like mm-hmm. numbers that can take the place of letters that that you, you have i have no idea how you would fit this on a license plate and i have no idea what it would say backwards but i'm going with vagina dentata oh <laughs> i e- <laughs> <laughs> Scarred, Greg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm trying to picture it backwards, but then I pictured it forward, and I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that coming rolling up towards you in your rearview mirror. <laughs> oh. Surprise. It, it would get through the sensors, too, because I don't think anybody would, like, if you're just a bored, overworked, underpaid clerk at the local... MVA, mm-hmm. like they'd be like, yeah, sure, approve. <laughs> Having no idea. <laughs> Why not? What yeah. They're trying to say. They're doing something clever. I know it. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs>